Reinholds is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Reinholds Show Podcast. another episode of the Reinhold Show podcast. Oh my goodness, my goodness. Today we have an amazing guest on. Um, but before we get to all that, again, I did a kind of an episode at the beginning of the year, just kind of going through some items, house cleaning items, I call them. Again, thank you for all the reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Thank you so much also for all the messages, the DMs, the social media, everything. It's absolutely endless. Again, I can't stress everybody who listens and enjoys, please write a review. The reviews help uh, the show tremendously. Again, you couldn't be expecting episodes this year every Monday uh, in your inbox. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, Nicole and I will talk about the importance of consistency. Um, and even in my previous guest I talked to this morning, I admittedly last year, the podcast went very well, but I said, I'm going to release it on Sunday and I'm going to release it on Fridays and I'm going to release it on Saturdays. And it just never got released on the same day. So much to the point where a lot of listeners sent me a message saying, I love the podcast, but damn, man, be more consistent with it. So my even my own wife said, you know, you, you got to be consistent with this thing. People are wanting the content. So um, but without further ado, I have an amazing guest. Before I get into her bio and, and she talks, uh, I met her. God, blast from the past. Very cool story uh, back in. You know what? I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to talk about it together because I think it'd be fun. Um, <laughs> my next guest, Hem Stams from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and I remember talking and telling you that my, my NFL team was the Ravens. I'm a big Ray Lewis fan. Um, but she's coming all the way from Baltimore. Nicole Kelly is an absolutely amazing person. I'm not going to read her old bio, but basically she's a fantastic marketer. She's a great keynote speaker. She's a fantastic human. I'm going to link her bio in the show notes so you guys can go and read it. Um, I'm excited to talk to her about content, about ROI, about advertising, and about her personal journey through trying to be a boss lady um, but as we know, if it's not directed well, can impact you not in the best way in terms of health and whatnot. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It truly is an honor. And man, I like just talking about how we met, like when I saw you doing the show, I was like, man, look at Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. It's just such no. an honor to be here. Well, I think if I if I'm corrected, I, I, I don't know. Is that four or five years ago now? That you were in Edmonton? Oh, it's, it's further than that. I Six, think it was, um, yeah, 2012, probably 2011. Yeah. Um, right after my book came out, probably in 2012. Yeah. Well, you know what's so interesting about that is that at that point, I was I came to this conference and I was actually working at, at my job at the time at an automotive dealership. And I went to this conference because at that time, I would say I was just completely starting a, a completely new venture. I'd sold my previous company was not really working for the last year. And then right when I met you and seen you at the conference, I was just starting at this dealership and really did some amazing things there in a year and then went out yeah. in my own business. And I remember hunting you down and we went for breakfast. Do you remember that? I do. So, so I said, <laughs> so you're like, well, I'm flying out the next day. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, let's, can we go for breakfast? This is a great point, Nicole, because our whole show, our mandate is curiosity. And we mm -hmm. talk about lifestyle, we talk about business and we talk about humans. The power of going after what you want is super incredible. 
And I want to kind of, and maybe you can talk more about it, but when I heard you speak, I really loved it. And from somebody who is really trying to dial in on the, the digital, because six years ago, that was different in the digital marketing game. Oh, yeah. I re- especially in Canada, remember? Spe- like, social media was like, I oh. mean, just barely beginning. And we were just like, really start. It was really catching on in the U.S., And I was talking about measurement, you know, so like measurement kind of has the prerequisite that you're already doing it. Absolutely. (laughs) So when I came to Canada, I was like, wow, what like what a difference, but also what an opportunity, you know, where you can take the knowledge that you have, where we've kind of pushed things a little bit further in the U.S. and and some other places around the world. But now we can take all those lessons and we can apply it into this market that is budding with opportunity and growth. And I remember that being our conversation in the morning of like, wow, like you are, you are sitting in such a beautiful land of opportunity for you. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, again, people that are listening, if you hear somebody at a conference speak, or there's something that you, you, you want to talk to them about, I tell you all the time, like if you go to a conference, get the most out of it. And I hunted you down and said, like, oh, let's go for breakfast. I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick you up, whatever it takes. And you're like, OK, yeah. well, let's go for breakfast. Now, I remember what really got what really sold me on her was her converse. She was wearing chucks. And I said, any girl that can wear chucks and is taking her style to this amazing level. If you look, I got the Jordan threes back there. I got some football nice. cleats back there. I mean, I'm a sneakerhead, so I like the sneakers. Yeah. But that was always appealing. And I remember at the conference, you definitely, your, your talk was, your talk, I would say, from where we were, was probably all the way into 2015. Because what you yeah. were talking about was, again, how to measure. And a lot of people and a lot of companies, they're not even doing it yet, let alone figuring out how to measure if what they're doing is is good. So talk to me about... I want to go personal first because, I mean, you mentioned you had a couple strokes. You were going hardcore. Um, I remember following your journey and then all of a sudden it's like you just fell off the face of the earth. And I just when you when you reconnected with me on LinkedIn and I didn't even at first you messaged me and I'm like, it's what? Oh, my. Oh, my God. I was like. (laughs) Because I don't know who I thought you were, but I did not know it was you when we first right. started talking. And then I'm like, Nicole Gillian, Nicole Gillian, Nicole Gillian. And then you're like, yeah, right. Remember that? I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, my God. So yeah. what happened? Tell everybody your journey. Uh, I think there's a lot of takeaways from it. Yeah, thank you. I um, Well, and, and the truth of it is, is like, I don't even look like the same person as I, I did when we met. Like, it's it's a, a, a drastic transformation that I've been through. Um, so basically what happened was, you know, I, I did it. You know, I was able to measure return on investment in social media. I was a rock star at it. I built a rock star agency and, and team. And we had created systems and processes that we were beating out the big agencies at Fortune 1000 companies. I mean, we were killing it, you know, every day and, and slaying the dragons and being able to, you know, help marketing teams really get bigger budgets. And as that was happening and my company was growing and, um, you know, I was hiring more people and we were getting more contracts and I was traveling a lot because my book was out. So I was traveling the world. I had really stopped taking care of myself Mm -hmm. and really looking at 
you know, was I healthy for one, you know, like I had put on a lot of weight because I was eating on the road a lot. I wasn't working out because I was mm. tired. Mm. Uh, quite frankly, I was part of, I was part of that like marketing party scene. So I was staying out till like four o'clock in the morning and then rolling up at 6am to do my keynote and I could kill it. Like I would deliver it and I never had an issue delivering what was happening inside of my body is that I was literally I like to liken it to like an iPhone at 5% plugged into the wall operating at 150. Oh. And eventually that that system is going to shut down. And so what ended up happening is that I pushed my system too hard and I started having minor strokes. And it happened right after like the biggest peak of my career. And suddenly I'm being told, you have a 60% chance of a full stroke? And if you have a stroke, you're probably not going to survive. Mm. So you should like really consider that and how you move forward and really prioritizing your health. And I mean, it shot, I went from feeling invincible to being like, whoa, there's something bigger than me in control. <laughs> it was a jump that um, took me a minute to kind of process. And then, and then I started really looking at it and I was like, you know, look, I have all the things I've got the money, I've got the house, I've got the marriage, I've got, mm. you know, the family, I've got, um, the prestige in my industry, but there's this, this void inside of me that isn't full. And I didn't know what it was. Mm. And so I started this journey and really took a sabbatical from the industry. I sold my agency and made sure everybody kept their jobs and all my clients were taken care of, but I needed to take a step back for me. Mm. And I took that time and really went within and I started working with like shamans and, um, spiritual guides and healers and, um, just like really opened myself to the space of healing and looking at mm. what was beyond my body because my doctors were telling me that there was no reason for me to have these strokes. Mm. But like, it made a lot of sense actually, if you like understand energy and you understand the body, it made a ton of sense. I was dehydrated horrible nutrition, um, not exercising. My mm. vessel was essentially shutting down mm. because I wasn't taking care of it. And that is what happens when you're listening to these messages on the hustle wheel, wheel telling you to go faster and harder mm. and faster and harder. Mm. And you don't stop and check and say, do I actually have anything left to give? Well, you're building a, you're building something really special on unsteady bricks, and over time, it's going to just completely crash. How old were you when you when the doctor said about the stroke? Said about that. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah. So you're young. You're so yeah. young, right? Yeah. I feel like yeah. when even when we talk, though, do you think a lot of it had? Do you think ego was involved uh, at some in some of it? Do you look like when you dig deep? Do you think this got to my head a little bit? Maybe some of the success and whatnot, and and forced you kind of down a little bit of a rabbit hole? I think what happened was there were some really core areas of misalignment in my life. And a, a lot of it had to do more with avoidance than, you know, like my ego was there and I was like operating from ego. Not that I wasn't, I don't, I don't know if that were the case or not. But what really was happening is that I had a lot of repressed trauma from my childhood. Okay. And that, that trauma 
when faced with my mortality mm. came front and center. So most people face their mortality when they're nearing retirement and you have time. You're like mm. retired. So like you can chill and like just meditate for hours and things like that if you need to. I was at a point where I was at the height of my career, I had I think seven to nine employees. I have three children. I'm in a marriage. You know, I, I'm the sole breadwinner of the entire family. Like my husband worked for the company and I'm being told that, you know, there's a chance I could die within a year mm. and I need to prepare my family for that. I need to prepare myself for that. I need to ask myself the real questions, which are, you know, like, am I contributing in a meaningful way? Mm. Because the conversation about return on investment, quite frankly, um, I think, you know, I believe in return on investment and, and I believe in marketing teams being able to measure return on investment. Um, and I think it's important for marketing teams also to understand that you as an individual are not measured by your return on investment to a company. Absolutely. And if, and if companies are measuring individuals in return on investment and those, those limited metrics that are available, then they're missing out on the full spectrum of humanity that we bring into these companies and offer. Mm. There's a, uh, I don't know if you, you should really check her out, but it's, uh, well, you've heard of Gary Vaynerchuk, obviously, mm -hmm. and he's doing, you know, going crazy and whatnot, but he hired a chief heart officer uh, at his agency and her whole mandate is to make sure that people are doing well. And yeah. it's really interesting to have a C-suite executive position put in as a chief heart officer. And yeah. their whole mandate is to build the biggest human beast known to man. And that and, and their whole mandate is it comes from inside out. And I think yeah. that with social media, marketing, entrepreneurs, startup, angel investing, my God, Silicon Valley, you know, it's this mentality of hustle, hustle, hustle. But a lot of people that are pushing this aren't necessarily the ones that are actually the ones that are successful. When you hear a lot of these people that are successful doing it, they're actually telling you, I'm sleeping seven, eight hours a night. I'm making sure that my road schedule is, is conducive to my marriage, to my home, to my kids. I'm doing yeah. all these things of working out to making sure that I'm the, the fittest person that I possibly can be. Because to be in order to have that longevity, you really have to have, you know, put self-care in the mandate. So for, yeah. for you being a marketer and going through this journey, man, what do you think? Like, even your LinkedIn, I'm like, oh, she's different. You know, you, yeah. you, you really have transformed. Like, how do you feel? How, like, just what does that mean for you? Well, I mean, there was a time where I really, I was struggling with being a marketer because as I was really taking a look at myself and, and looking at my own level of consciousness and awareness and evolution as a human, and I started to see the materialism and consumerism and, um, and, you know, just kind of being a member of this like robot wor workforce for corporate America, but with no real mission or meaning to the work that I was doing. Um, I really struggled because ultimately as marketers, we have control of the largest social conditioning engine in the world mm. and what we put into it matters a lot. And as I was working in the industry, what we were putting into the engine was language that was intended to manipulate people to buy ultimately, even with the best of intention. And in a lot of cases, something they didn't need. You know, something that they didn't truly need, but was part of this kind of consumerism engine. And so I really was struggling with that and like reconciling that in my heart of whether or not I could come back into that engine and be a part of that again. Mm. Um, 
because I do believe in opening the hearts of humanity. And if you look at where we are as a, as a planet and just as a species, it's really clear that we're going through an evolution and you're seeing it. You know, you're seeing the Dave Asprey's and the Tim Ferris's and, you know, all of these people who are biohacking and they're looking at how they can hack the body, how they can hack the mind. You have a whole nother group that is, you know, talking consciousness and evolution that's talking about hacking the human spirit. And so all of this stuff is happening simultaneously as we have conscious companies coming and really getting a lot of support from, you know, the society saying, yes, we want companies to have a mission beyond profit. And it became really clear as I went and I spoke at uh, Content Marketing World and did a talk on conscious marketing, which is the evolution of really marketers taking responsibility for the impact of their messaging mm -hmm. and the impact of what they're doing and looking beyond the sale and looking into impact. And it became really clear that where when you and I met and I was the solo speaker on measurement and return on investment at a conference um, and even the bigger conferences to there being 30 speakers talking measurement at a single event and really just in my heart feeling like a big piece of that evolution, I saw that we're ready for the next evolution, which is, okay, we have ROI. Now what? Mm. What's our impact? Mm. You know, what's our intention as a company? Because if we're just marketing for the purpose of getting someone to buy something and we're not adding value, as you talked about, into their life and into their experience and into their growth as a human, then what are we really doing and what are we here for? And how is that going to be sustainable when we have a generation of millennials and the next generation coming in where this consumerism engine just does not resonate at all. It's really interesting. I mean, marketers historically ruin everything. I <laughs> really do. Something comes out and marketers just spin it and beat it to death. And I think it's interesting because when you talk about marketing, you're right. There's a whole social and heart component to marketing. I don't. It's funny. I call myself a marketer, but I'm not. I, I wasn't born a marketer. I was born a human. Yeah. I like I like the aspect of marketing where you actually can take something, tell a story around it, and give somebody the option as to whether that's going to be a good uh, investment into their life. It's funny because over the last few years, I hate buying stuff. I don't, right. you know, my wife and I, our homes and everything, we don't like stuff. Everything that we have, it's like materialistic. Does it serve a purpose? Does it make us better? And is it well-rounded? Or are we buying this for the, you know, the 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 adrenaline dose that it mm -hmm. sends to your brain? And this whole minimalism kick that you see going on in the world is because I think people are, are cluttered in their minds, their hearts, their souls, and their life. And people yeah. are like, I got to be free. And it's funny when you talk about humanity because humanity is all about evolution. So humans will go all the way to China just to come back to home. We'll go all right. the way around the circle and then come full circle all the way back to where you are at in your life right now. And you yeah. probably feel the best you've ever felt, I would assume, because you've seen so much, but now you're right back at that nice center. And yeah. wherever you go now, you feel like I'm in full control of that. And I'm going to make yeah. sure that whatever I'm building is very smart and very yeah. foundational. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have perspective that I couldn't have gained any other way. Mm. You know, um, being able to have 
just the luxury of being able to step away from the industry for a couple of years and watch what happened and watch what evolved and what didn't and how the conversations were changing and what tools came out, you know, all of that, watching it from a distance while also looking at how we unlock ourselves as humans, which Mm. is my mission in life (laughs) is let's unlock ourselves and our full potential. And, and let's, let's talk about how marketing can be a tool in that. When you talk about doing things like adding value, you know, we used to have these conversations. It was a how to article was how you add value, right? Well, there is a whole nother level of value that we can add when we start to be more conscious about what's happening in our collective right now. You have, you know, we have division happening in our collective, regardless of anything, we're being divided. Mm. So if we know that as marketers and we know that we have the engine that tells people what is good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong and all those things, then we can, as a collective of marketers say, Hey, we're here to unify humanity. And so we're going to empower humanity to come together at this time and to be a part of a conversation, whatever it is. But if the intention is that we are going to add value by actually truly understanding this audience and what they need from us, then I believe that we can start to actually make an impact beyond marketing. And, you know, little simple things like that marketers don't even realize of, you know, the power of sound and healing. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you're, you're seeing this like wave of like things like ASMR and the next one's going to be sound healing. You'll start to hear a lot about sound healing and binaural beats and Mm -hmm. all of these frequencies that literally physically change the structure of the human body. And so as marketers, we can do something simple. If you want to heal the heart of humanity, then start putting 432 hertz as the undertone of all of your music. You won't even hear it. But what it does is it opens, it actually physically opens the heart. So I think that there's this next level of marketing that is, you know, let's get beyond tactics and tools, those things. That's like yeah, that's the entry point, right? Like that's, that's what you need to know to get in the door. Mm -hmm. But those who are through the door, let's start talking about how we can leverage these tools, how we can use this engine in a way that actually helps us, you know, evolve the entire planet and our species. That's so beautiful. I mean, you're, you're very right. Like marketing for me was never about the clicks, the retweets, the, all the vanity metrics that come along with it. It's genuinely to have impact and the word curiosity to me it it, it goes back to being a child and you know I'm a father we have our two-year-old we have our next little baby girl on the way and thank you and it's funny because every parent's the same thing like and I, I I always made a rule before I was a parent I would never speak to parenting or on parenting because I wasn't a parent and I I always thought there's no way I could even remotely say anything about it unless I go through it. And and I, and I now being a parent, I think what I did was smart. I think it's very right. But that curiosity that comes with being a child, that simplicity and that complete just they take in everything and they have no filter. Everything is pure to form. That's what I think good marketing really can do and really is. And I think that yeah. humans come in even mark like marketers have killed marketing have killed mm-hmm. being a marketer marketers nowadays are not the nice like a lot of people don't look at marketers in a great way they just think yeah. this person is trying to manipulate my emotion so i can go buy some shit and 
people don't yeah. want that. So when you talk about ROI and investment, are you seeing now with companies that are saying, well, we want to sell product and service. How are you selling that ROI to them? And how are you reconditioning their mind to think of ROI in a different way? Well, it's a couple of things, right? So the first thing is, is that you need to actually be able to demonstrate return on investment. So you need to have, you, ha you need to have some systems in place and be able to measure that. At the point where you can measure return on investment, then you can optimize it. Mm. And when you're optimizing return on investment, optimizing for the sake of profit only when that profit goes to benefit very few in the organization to be honest you know it's not like that profit's coming <laughs> back into that marketer's bonus check it's yeah. going into an executive salary yeah. so and an executive bonus so just knowing that and being really open and honest about that that's the case right that's just how it works um, then we need to give marketing teams something else to be passionate about and what we're all wanting at the end of the day is to feel like we're giving back that mm. the work that we're doing is meaningful. So if we take that same marketing team that's optimizing for profit and we say, look, with this profit that you're optimizing for, we're going to take a percentage of this and we're going to contribute it to something that's meaningful to the organization or meaningful mostly to that marketing team. Mm. I don't think this is necessarily about, you know, I, the, our company is aligned on um, this is our mission and this is the charity we give to. I actually think it's far more personal than that. I think you have a marketing team of 10, 50 people. In out what they're passionate about and then you allow them that as they optimize and as they're delivering more value to the organization in terms of profit that they then can take that profit and they can reinvest it into something that they're passionate about mm. and give back in a meaningful way so when you look at things like intention if you have an audience of say you know your target audience is mothers well, our intention with mothers might actually be that um, we want to teach um, conscious communication with children. You know, we want to teach parents how to talk to their children, how to look in their eyes, how to see the twinkle in their eyes, how to play with their kids again. You know, games and, and things like getting that childlike wonder back, not only in the child's life, but in the adult's life as well, which there's tons of research about the value of that in the creative process. Absolutely. If that's our, if that's, if that's our, the impact we want to have is to bring childlike wonder back into the parenting relationship, then there are things that we can do with that. You know, we can take some of that profit and we can hold an event for our company where we do that with our own employees or we do it in our community or we give to a children's organization and we're a part of it. And then as I'm, as I'm optimizing marketing and it's getting better, now I'm giving back and it feels good because I feel like I have control in some way over that contribution. Huge, I like this. So you've been doing a lot of thinking over these last <laughs> few years. You well, and it's, it comes down to metrics, right? You can say that in theory and it's like, oh yeah, that sounds really great, have a great intention. But then the question becomes like, what does that mean on the back end, right? Like, so we align around a mission, we find a way to support that mission, then we need to be able to measure the return on doing that, right? So the return on um, investment, if you will, on the intention and on the impact. And so um, and so you do things to measure the difference, right? Like, so if, if, we're, if we're taking 10% of profit, say, the additional profit, 
profit that we gain and we're contributing that, then what happens after that? Mm. What happens to employee satisfaction? Mm. What happens to um, overall quality of life? What happens to our, our further marketing campaigns? What happens to creativity and innovation and product development in the organization when we're actually empowering people to be a part of choosing their destiny and choosing their mission inside the company? If you take care of your people, I mean, you, your people will always take care of you and take care of the, sure. the client and customer. I think that when you talk about marketing, you talk about uh, clients, especially when marketers are trying to get clients, a lot of clients are still, they're always chasing a unicorn. So even if a marketer comes in, does a campaign, it's like, my God, we made three and a half million dollars off of it. The, the client the next week's like, okay, so how can we do this again? And a lot yeah. of marketers, I, it just doesn't work like that. You know, you don't just create these campaigns that are fantastic. And like, it, it takes a lot of work and clients often don't understand this. So I think it creates kind of a bad relationship between the client and the marketer or agency and then mm -hmm. vice versa. I don't, I love marketing. I don't necessarily like marketing for clients. I, I, I'm very honest about that. I think mm -hmm. that, uh, Marketing for clients can be all of a sudden you're turning into more of a management consultant because when you go mm -hmm. into a lot of these businesses, you realize that, geez, they don't need help with just their marketing. They're not running their damn business properly, you know, and their employees yeah. and team are coming up to you saying we can't stand working here. Like it's a terrible environment to work in yeah. marketing how, in order to touch a heart center or or emotional side of a customer. You got to have that coming from your team. You got to have that vibe coming from when they see something online, they call you where, you know, it's just like, whoa, I seen that online. I talked to Ryan or I talked to Nicole and it was like exact same thing. How you can't go out and put a bandaid on something if that core is not worked out. So what do you think is the future for businesses in general, in general? What yeah. kind of what kind of beast and Goliath are they going to be coming? Who is coming to knock on their door? I would say the consumer, to be honest. I think we as uh, we have access to technology, we have access to resources. We we have the ability to bypass corporate America at this point um, with technology like blockchain and um, digital currency coming on the market. We now can negotiate our own trade arrangements and agreements across borders. I mean, we we now could actually have our own government and, and collective outside of any actual formed government. Like, I mean, we as a species have more access to each other and to technology than we ever have. And so for companies, I would say their biggest competitor right now is their customer and their customer's ability to create the product that they're selling them themselves with ease, with intention, with better products, um, you know, there, it's just, it's so much easier to make your own stuff. I mean, I'm living like in this house right now, you know, I have solar panels. I don't pay for electricity in the summertime. You know, <laughs> I've got a fireplace so that we don't pay much for heat. Like I think as a species, we really want our autonomy in new and exciting ways. And what's what the big question I have is, is the industry going to fight it? Or are they going to support it? And I think that the companies who recognize that the consumer wants to be able to buy at a lower price, be able to get something consistent with a you know consistent quality of service and delivery, and 
that if I can make it myself with whole ingredients, um, I, I'm, I'm going to start going that way because the toxins that are in our products, mm. you know, that it just doesn't go away. The, like the information is out there. And from a marketing perspective, I think the interesting thing that we really should be having a conversation about is that the consumer's knowledge of marketing mm. and the way that the engine is being used and the way that data is being used is very minimal compared to what's happening. And so as you start to see transparency coming forward in many other industries in government and mm -hmm. um, education and all these systems, you're seeing transparency come out. Mm -hmm. I would expect that there will be a level of transparency about marketing that companies who have taken the time to protect their consumers data, to make sure that they're getting the proper true opt-ins, that they're using their customers inboxes respectfully, mm -hmm. and that they can stand behind all of their marketing from an intention standpoint mm. will do very well. Those who have been doing things like buying email lists, um, you know, shady SEO practices, you know, all that kind of stuff. And mostly I would say holding consumer data and buying from multiple data sources and stitching together records without the consumer's knowledge mm. are um, likely, I would say, at risk for regulation. It's funny. We had a lot of um, we had a lot of uh, conversation on the previous with the previous guests, and we brought up the whole privacy issue with Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. And I still my theory on it is, you know, human beings still have to take accountability for what they're doing. And mm -hmm. if I come to you and I say, like, I'm a shareholder in Facebook, I own stock in Facebook from years ago, and I know that how can a company be worth value? You know, have a value of billions of dollars, but then charge you nothing to use the platform mm -hmm. right so there's so we know that they're making money you know through advertising but other sure. things so human beings still have to say whatever i'm putting out there i have to know like i don't own it anymore and you can't yeah. pull, you can't pull it back you can't pull the post back you can't pull anything back once it's there yeah. it's, it's there so when it comes down to privacy you're very right uh, there needs to be a level of transparency. But furthermore, where do you see the consumer going to maybe A, get more educated on the subject or B, interact with the specific platforms? It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out because yes, like as a user of Facebook, I assume that Facebook has access to my data. What I don't understand is how much of my data is being sold and then how much of that data is then being stitched together mm. with my data on that person's website, mm. with my Google search history, with my Google email box. Like mm. you start really looking at the level of data that when you start buying, even, you know, I can buy your mailing address and get your household income. I can get your education level. I can get your race. I can get your religion. Mm. Like these things that we're not supposed to be targeting people, these labels, when you start to look at how much of that data these companies are storing and how many thousands of databases it's stored across, I think that ultimately the only way that the consumer can honestly be taken care of is for companies like Salesforce um, and all of your CRM companies, you know, Marketo, all of your Pardot, you know, all those companies to really start to be take on the onus of allowing the consumer to control their contact record through all of the organizations. So as an example, I can go to my I can go to Salesforce, I can look at my name by my email address, I can find all the companies who have it, what what Smart. Um, I've subscribed to from them. 
And from that one panel, I can unsubscribe from all. I can change my privacy settings. I can delete my record. I can edit my record. And I can strip out my cookie data, quite frankly. Like I can strip out all of my web history, my browser history, because consumers don't know that that's happening and they should have a right to control that because it's 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 their personal information. And I think that as you start to look at corporate America, you look at healthcare, you know, there's this thing about who owns data. Is it the consumer's data or is it the company's data? Mm. And right now, the conversation is pretty much that it's the company's data. Mm. I expect consumers to say, no, mm. it's my data. Mm. I own my health record. So I don't want to pay my doctor to get copies of my health record. Put it into this digital file where all of my records are stored and I can have access to who has access in and out of that. Mm. Things like, like that. that where it's like the mm. consumer starting to have ownership and control over data is the way I expect it to go over the probably next five to 10 years. Well, you look at even your and I'm based in Canada, so I, I, I lived in the States for a year, a couple of years playing football. But I don't know. I mean, Social Security, we call it a sin, sin number, social insurance number here. Mm-hmm. But you look at even when you go like here, we have Revenue Canada, you guys have IRS and stuff. But when you go, and, and I, I'm, I'm assuming you have the same access, like for the government, it's a voluntary tax paying system, meaning we're going to say, here's how much we made, you're going to tax us. Now, if you get audited and you're lying, whoa, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. But we have full access over that. But the way we have access over that is the way we should have access over everything, right? So yeah. if we're saying that the biggest that the biggest competitor, your biggest competitor is your customer, not your actual other competitor, is that how do we call it? It's not unmarketing, it's not reverse marketing, but but what do we like what's a word we could actually say that would even I would describe? call it communitizing. Communitizing. Absolutely. It's where communities come together and start providing their own services for themselves. Now, do you think on a scale are people buying more shit they don't need? or less shit they don't need. <laughs> I think it depends on where they are in their understanding of self, to be honest. Like, I think um, there are groups who are buying more stuff because they have more access to resources. And there are other groups who are kind of coming back and starting to pull back. I do see a trend of minimalism, which mm-hmm. I think is good. You know, honestly, I've seen it. I love it because, you know, I just had a baby five months ago. Ah, congratulations. <laughs> how, many, how many kids do you have now? I have four. Four. Holy. Wow. So so my oldest is 20 and I have an 18 year old, a seven year old and a five month old. And so as you talk about this whole thing of perspective, I not only have this interesting perspective of looking at the marketing industry from the inside out and the outside in, but I also have this interesting perspective on parenting of being able to be a brand new parent to an infant after having a 20 and an 18 year old and seeing the whole progression of parenthood you know wow. so oh my yeah. god good for you how did that even happen like that's an age gap well man it's like a 20 year age gap it's a, it's I, like I, magic man it's wow. like magic i um yeah i met the love of my life and we um miraculously got pregnant because my daughter was wishing she was started praying every night that i would have another baby and i was oh. like no, honey, mommy's done. You know, yeah. like I, I'm good. Yeah. And then two months later, I was pregnant. <laughs> so, you guys, so you guys have a big family. That's a good. That's a big family. Do you guys have a lot of extended family? Um, not so much. You know, like you know, 
not on my side. Yeah. My family is mostly in Arizona, New Mexico, um, and fairly distant. But in Maryland, you know, with my kids, it's like, you know, all the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents. It's great. Mm. Everybody, you know, does our best to, you know, get along and, and have fun and, and be there for the kids. When we talk about social media and we talk about branding and marketing um, and you look at a lot of the social campaigns that are happening me too black lives matter you have brands mm-hmm. that like nike that are you know getting into the colin kaepernick situation um what do you think of that how does that change the game do you think that even issues like racism and all that do you think that this is because everything we have access to all this technology the transparency and all that do you think that this is going to make those problems better do you think that there's going to be solutions found i know of course you know with all the canada is very different than the u.s where i mean you guys are having all those protests and you know all these police issues and stuff like that and i look at it as a I mean, I'm a Jamaican German guy and I sit on the other side of the border, but I've lived in Los Angeles. So, you know, I remember being even in in college and thinking, my God, it's it is very different to be a black person in the United States of America than it is here in Canada. Like I'll see a I'll see a police officer on the street. I have lots of cops that are friends and I could I could go up to the guy. We're high fiving. Hey, man, how are you? Of course, there's assholes everywhere in everything. And there's also a lot of good, but you do see what's happening in the U.S. And you're like, oh, they got some real problems down there. So do you look back, sit back and put your human cap on and say, "Okay, well, these problems have already always existed, but now they're coming up to the light. And my belief is always that you can't solve a miscommunication or an issue with somebody unless you sit down and communicate. And I feel like social media, even though some ways it's been a little abrupt, it's mm-hmm. now forcing the topic and the conversation to be had. So what's your thoughts on mm. all of that? So, I mean, first, I'm a yes to brands taking a leadership role in helping human humanity evolve into loving each other again. You know, like ultimately, like us really finding a place of love and forgiveness for each other. I'm a, a huge yes to that. And when a brand steps into that conversation, I think it's incredibly important for them to make sure that they have a level of awareness of the subject that allows them to put out something that is not only meaningful, but that will last. Mm. And when you use the examples um, that you used, the most recent one I just saw was Gillette talking about toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you talk about something like toxic masculinity, and you need to have a really deep understanding of what that is, to be honest. Absolutely. You know, you need to know what it is so that it's really clear. What is your interpretation when- of that? And cause It's so funny because I and, and you know what? I feel like I'm not catching up with the news because the previous guest said, have you seen the Gillette thing? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you right now. I'm like, I think I just seen two quick posts about it this morning. I don't know what is going on with that. So please enlighten me and everybody listening. Yeah. Of course. So basically Gillette put out a commercial and they, the intention I believe that they had was that they wanted to inspire men to ultimately be better, you know, be better humans, more heart open men, more heart centered and so forth. And the way that they chose to deliver that message ultimately was by shaming this thing that they call toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, people have their own definition, but it's generally like the way that they refer to it is they refer to sexual harassment, okay. um, yeah. you know, like um, catcalling women, yep. Yep. Um, 
uh, being in bars, like just being overly aggressive ultimately yep, is yep. the way that it's perceived yep. there. So then at the end, they talk about to be right, like to do the right thing. So here's the challenge with that. <laughs> we live in a society where marketing and advertising and media has told us that there are heroes, villains, and victims in the world. Mm. And at any given time, I, as a human, identify with one of those three roles. Mm. And as I look around the relationships in my life, I realize I identify with all of them because mm. in every story, I'm either a hero, villain, and vic or a victim. Mm. And in sometimes I'm both. So if we have this thing that we know because of the hero's journey, we've told the world that there are heroes, villains, and victims. And then we put out messaging using shame as a motivator. I have to question the intention on that because I could have just as easily taken that message and I could have shown examples of evolved masculinity, of heart open masculine, of, of, of treating women with respect of, yeah. you know, all of that. I could have shown what we want humans to, to evolve to. But instead, I pointed a finger at another human and I said, you're wrong. Mm. And that to me is, it just shows a, a level of unawareness about where someone is. Because even if someone is in a place where they are what we consider part of this toxic masculine culture, we have to understand where that came from. Mm. And that those are not necessarily men who are bad people. They're men who are wounded. Mm. They're mended who have been men who have been through trauma. Mm. They're men who are misunderstood, mm. who have been feel unloved. You know, so like for me, I I think the evolution in this really is to start being able to communicate in a way where everyone feels loved on the other side of it. Mm. You know what's interesting? And I've been I've been really hot and heavy about this lately. Is that going through the birthing process? Well, I didn't because I can't uh, <laughs> I can't uh, anatomically do that. But uh, my wife, my hero wife, she went through that. But I was there for every step of the journey, and and I I was raised by a single mom, so I've always felt even growing up, even though I was playing, you know, and people bring up this whole man thing because they're like, Ryan, you're playing football and all that. But I'm like, I was also taking off my equipment and going to to sing in choir and then do um, like band camp basically with instruments and stuff, minus the, the cool band camp stuff from the video. But, you know, I can't talk about <laughs> that right now. But that being said, being a father, it is so sexist. I'm telling you, right from going into the OB to the doctor, so surprised that the dad is there during the appointments. Don't get me wrong. There is amazing fathers out there. And I think a lot of them are quiet in, in, their, in their everyday duty because the world is really based around mom having the baby and mom taking care of the child. And I just think in 2019, that's so wrong because mom is also owning a business. Mom is working. Dad is also working. Dad is also owning a business. Dad's also changing diapers. Mom's changing diapers. And I don't shy away from the fact that I think females are females. That's fantastic. Great. Be a female. There's beautiful things about a female. I, I love it. And there's beautiful things about being a male. But collectively, we're even. I, I like in, in my household, we like my hashtags team holds. We're 
It, it doesn't matter whether you talk to my wife or me. You're getting the same. Where we run it mm-hmm. completely. Like if 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 she's not, I can I, I can do everything that she does. I can cook. I can do all that. Aside from obviously breastfeeding and things like that during pregnancy, right. I, I can't do that. But everything else I can do. Yeah. So as a marketer, I just think, man, very chauvinist ways towards dads. Now here's the thing: dads are getting completely heckled. And, and and the expectation of a dad is very big, but people don't want to acknowledge the other parts of that. And I think that when I see this Gillette thing that I've been hearing about is kind of almost just again, it's just another hit because you're right. You could have took a completely different spin and show that there's a, a Huggies commercial out. Uh, is it Pampers or Huggies? And it says uh, do do booty do-do booty check or something like that it's 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 brilliant they're they're just showing it john legends in it and they're showing dads changing the diaper yeah and it's it's my favorite commercial right now so what you're saying i really agree with and it's just i don't know what the what the deal is right now but like there's you're right it's so much separation mom yeah dad well dad mom And it's what we've been trained to do, right? As marketers, we've been trained to try to put people into these boxes so that we can target them, right? That's Mm -hmm. what we've been doing over the last 10 years. Well, now I'm saying, hey, guys, you got to remove the box because what you're talking about is totally true that men are like devalued in the parental relationship. And quite frankly, like you start to look at it, it's like now... Um, both, but there's two head of households in all households, regardless of of gender, you know, there's two head of households involved and, and really it's about not your role or your gender. Like we start looking at, and this was such a big part of my journey when I like, I really like stripped away my entire identity. I was like, I'm not a marketer. I'm not a mother. I'm not an executive. I'm not any of these Mm -hmm. labels. You know, Prince Ia has that great, I'm not a label video. And it like Mm -hmm. really hit me. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, I have no identity. Who am I? Like, ah, (laughs) what do I do now? Like, I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And, and, and having to come back into self again of like, okay, like, I, I do have all these skills and all these labels and none of them will ever truly define me. I'm a unique expression of divinity. I always have been. I always will be. There'll never mm. be anyone who expresses themselves the same way I do mm. or expresses me better than me. And once I know that, then it becomes less about trying to clump my customers into these buckets and these categories. And then you know, and doing things like uh, that are completely insensitive without realizing it, you know, and, and with the best of intention, because in that same situation where you're talking about with your family, you know, um, my partner is Brazilian and in their culture, the wife stays home. And this has been a huge point of conversation with us in that, you know, like, I don't want to stay home. <laughs> so like, La I, rumba. Did, I, I have, Samba. Five, you know, I did. I have for five months and it's been lovely and beautiful and I'm ready to, you know, go back to work now. And so I'm looking at all of those opportunities and what that looks like. And so, you know, for marketers, it's really, you think that the game was tough before. I'm just saying that what I see coming is it's getting tougher to connect with your customer because we have saturated the marketplace with so much messaging that is meaningless that until we as a group start to get back in touch with our own humanity and the own, our own reason for living, we are going to be blind to these messages that completely fall on deaf ears because 
people don't want to buy from advertising. Two points. They two points. Want to buy from people. Absolutely. And you mentioned two points that are, are I think are huge. Number one is um, I think we have to go back into okay, who's a marketer? A marketer was once a child. They're human. They went to school. And as soon as school hit, that's when you start becoming a label. Education system for me, it's a big topic. I think a lot of it's complete crap. It's garbage. Um, there's no... Why are you like? Why is a med student learning about Julius Caesar and Shakespeare? Is that going to help save a life when his hands are in a heart? You know, or why is an engineer who's worried about a load-bearing structure or a bridge that cars are going to drive on each day worried about I don't know Shakespeare? Like, now why should we not understand how to file our own taxes? Why should we not understand finances, financial literacy? Go ask 10 people about their own money. And and I'll guarantee maybe two are financially literate about their own money. Yeah. Okay. So that should be in the education system. Why is it not? Why is it not? Like, come like, this is a life skill, right? Right. So that's number that, that, that's one. The other one is as soon as we get into school, this is where the structure base starts happening. And I get it. They're trying to scale humanity. But one, one teacher said it to me best. She said, Ryan, I hate to say this, but when you graduate high school, it's the same as when a car gets a VIN number off the assembly line. You are a VIN number, and now you're getting put out into society, and kumbaya. When I was in school, I had a challenge picking what I wanted to do in university. I wanted to be a psychiatrist because I, I love the human brain. And I didn't know where to, to slot myself. Even as recently as 2018, I've been DJing for 8 to 10 years. Nobody knew about it. I never made it public because everybody knows me for marketing and, and all mm-hmm. these other things. But I said, well, Ryan, you like DJing and you DJ events. So you're going to put on your profile. You're a DJ now. You're a DJ, a podcaster, a marketer, you know, a dad, a husband, a brother. Like, so yeah. I'm like, I just, I'm me. I deleted, yeah. I deleted. I had a page set up that a lot, a good following on all of them on Facebook, one for my company, one for the podcast. And I deleted them. And I said, it's now Ryan Holtz, just Ryan Holtz. Yeah. And because I'm like, I'm evolving. I got countless people messaging me on a daily basis, really questioning where they want to go, asking how I kind of figured, figured it out. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. That's the big secret. We're all still figuring it out. (laughs) So what you're saying is it's going to be hella hard for crappy marketers with crappy misleading messages and shitty everything to actually reach their targeted customer. What not I not only is it going to be hard to reach your targeted customer, like um, it's going to be socially unacceptable <laughs> for you to continue to try to reach the customer that way. So, you know, it's it's beyond just like, hey, I can't get to you. It's like if I do get to you and I get caught getting to you, then <laughs> like, you know, that everybody knows that I'm using these techniques that, you know, may not be fully above board and um, fully transparent, you know, just the whole remarketing engine in and of itself. Like, you know, do consumers really get that? Heck no, they don't get that. Mm. They just know that like all of a sudden I, I put that pants in my shopping cart and then they start showing up everywhere. But they don't understand that like I stored something on your computer in order to know that you looked at those pants. Like they don't understand cookie tracking, any of that kind of stuff. So 
you know, yeah, like there's, I think that, you know, it's a really good time for marketers to get really clear on their ethics and their integrity, Mm. to be honest, Mm. because um, those who are forward thinking about being transparent, about communicating with their audience, about truly developing relationships with their audience so that they understand what it is they want versus looking at them as a number and a statistic, they'll do better in terms of having that audience that's actually that cares. You know, when we started in social media, it was all about developing community. You remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, let's get around the fire. Kumbaya. Let's roast (laughs) some marshmallows. I remember. Reputation management. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's a whole nother subject. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then now it's like, where's the marshmallows? Like, (laughs) where are my marshmallows at? (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's misleading. It's, it's, if I, ha- if I'm hosting a party and I said, yo, Nicole, bring down your husband, your family, I'm going to have the nicest uh, Brazilian caparinhas here. It's going to be on a pop. And then you get, there's only apple juice. You're like, right. This is complete false advertising. Like, what yeah. are you, what are you saying? <laughs> at what point do you think it's too far? Because I, I look at it and not to bash marketing. And I don't want this to be it. Cause there's a lot of great marketing and there's a lot of great tools that are being used for great things i love the fact i love the fact that somebody can open up their phone they can go into google or search engine and find out something about almost anything that their hearts desire voluntarily i like that now when that person goes to find that we know that's when marketing starts to become a little weird because now you get on the page you're getting tracked Right. Yeah. You might now be shown ads that you didn't want to actually see, but push and pull. And and I'll try to explain it. You got the human. They made the first contact. I want to search. I want to find this. Now you got the company that says, well, I have the product. I'm going to show it to you. It's a push and pull domino effect. When it becomes inappropriate, meaning that the marketing's gone too far, at what point do you think that happens? And who is responsible or is it collectively some responsibility in that? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting question because ultimately I think the only way we can look at this is that we as marketers are responsible because pushing blame off on someone else isn't going to actually solve what's happening. Mm. You have your millennial audience that quite frankly assumes you're tracking everything and doesn't care that you're tracking. But then you have your Gen X audience who doesn't know that you're tracking and actually (laughs) does care that you're tracking, you know? And then you have like the European union coming out and saying like, Oh, you actually do need to provide the ability for people to edit their records and so forth. So, you know, ultimately I think it comes down to that if you truly understand your customer and you truly have built community with your customer, they're always going to welcome your, your communication provided that you're respectful about it. You know, it isn't like I did some work with a, um, uh, a meditation company that is really into online marketing and, um, and did some copywriting and stuff. And when I looked at the level of emails that were being sent out and the level of opportunity you had to subscribe, I had to say like, where is the system making sure you're not sending someone 27 emails today? And it was basically like, well, we assume that if they subscribe, they want it. And it's Mm. like, No, they don't want your 27 emails. They wanted, you know, one email or two emails. (laughs) So so I I think that that kind of stuff, like where you pollute someone's inbox is where the biggest change 
should happen from marketers. Absolutely. And and it really is a question of, am I communicating something of value? Mm-hmm. You talk about add, add value. Add value ties. It's, it's a value. What am I giving them a value? Because quite frankly, your special offer doesn't add a ton of value unless I've signaled to you that I'm ready to buy. Mm. And if I've signaled to you that I'm ready to buy, send me a special offer. But when I stop clicking on your emails and stop opening them, please remove me from that list. Mm. Like clean your own list. Mm. So I think when you start to, to really like do your own hygiene of data, looking at the customer and seeing where you're actually adding value and which touch points actually are adding to that ROI equation, to that return on impact, to that return on intention. You know, what are the metrics that we're going to measure for those three, like full cross-board measurements? Mm. And then let's actually build campaigns that are designed to deliver on that because the impact feels a lot better than the profit to be honest absolutely no absolutely i think you know kind of kind of going off what you say i i I feel like marketers and people in general i mean they're really having a struggle with this and i think that you know when i talk about ad value ties and i put that post on linkedin and ad value ties like i'm passionate about that because i think that's the only uh, form of advertising you should really be doing and you're Mm -hmm. right how to you know people used to send out how to videos and all this but at value ties, I think is so much more where you can you can really impact and send out a messaging that maybe has nothing to do with your product or service. And I get that the content marketing strategy, which we'll talk about, should really you know highlight your product or service in a way that can benefit the customer. But I feel like it's almost it's weird because a lot of people are like, Ryan, you sent out this message and it has nothing to do with what you offer as a company or any of your services. I'm like, cool, awesome. Did somebody <laughs> like respond to it well? Did they get value? great they're like well yeah that's great i'm like do you think that person's dumb and maybe doesn't google my name or maybe goes to my website or maybe checks out my Mm -hmm. linkedin or my instagram oh i never thought of that oh i'm like well once they get down there now they're coming into my funnel right and now they're like oh he's a dj oh he's a market oh i didn't even know that i didn't even know that i love when somebody says oh i was just checking you out man i didn't know all that perfect because i'm just like you did it on your own terms. You're looking at me right. completely different. You're not opposing yeah. me. You're sitting beside me. And that's what I want, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't like the idea of ads too much. That being said, content, content became a buzzword. It's a buzzword. Content, content yeah. strategy. We're going to talk about it. What is a content strategy? What does this even mean? Why do we even yeah. have to call it content and why is Nicole um, so innovative in her thinking when it comes to this and innovative in how people are reacting to things? You're very empathetic with people, I notice, because yeah. the way you're even talking about them is so like you sit and think about it. And I, yeah. do you think about this while you work out or you're talking to your husband or with your kids? Like, where are you really getting this think space and time to really go that deep into people. Yeah. Um, well, first I ha- I'm curious about people, you know, I, I do believe that everyone is unique and special in their own special way. And so, um, first I come at it with curiosity Two, I listen, you know, I really do take the time to listen to people and I listen with the intent of understanding versus with the intent of responding. Mm. Um, and, and I, I really put on everyone's 
lens. You know, I look at it and I say like, what, what, what does Ryan think about this? How would Ryan feel about this? Knowing whatever limited information I know, I put on as much of you as I can. And I say, how would, how would he feel about, you know, this advertisement about men? You know, how would his wife feel about this advertisement about men? How would his child feel about it? And as I start to take on those different lenses, I start to get more of a perspective because, you know, I think one of the biggest areas of distension in our society is that we look at something and we want someone else's perspective to be the same as our own. Mm. And the truth is that my truth will never be your truth Mm. because it's mine, right? It's mine from my experiences, from my life's journey. It's, we might have synergies, but you're never going to wholly own my truth the way that I do. Mm. And so when you start to just really like understand that and you do really have compassion for people and, and really like looking around just your life. Like I look around my life and I see so many people who are going to work through this nine to five, you know, really like hustling, doing stuff on the side and they're doing it to chase money, to be able to provide for their family, but then they have no time with their family, mm. you know? And it's like, you know, is it like, do we need all that, that expense? You know, could we minimalize there so you could have more time with your family? And in some cases the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no, but if I know that what's important to you is time with your family, then when I'm advertising to you, I can give you opportunities for time with your family. I can demonstrate opportunities for time in your family. Things like, hey, if my product saves you 10 minutes, that's enough time for you to go read a story to your child. You know, like really Mm. showing how you can use that time in a way that adds value for you and that's meaningful for you. And if you look at all of the messages that we remember over the decades of advertising, the ones that resonated the most were the ones that didn't change, Mm. where the message doesn't change 10 years from now. Mm. It's still love yourself. Mm. It's still trust yourself. Mm. You know, it's still take care of yourself. Mm. And when you start to see those universal truths, then as a brand, you can step back and say, hey, as I look at masculinity, I know the message I should be sharing is one of love towards men and towards masculinity. Mm. And if I'm talking about femininity, I sh- I know that my message is about love and honoring and cherishing the feminine. Mm. If I'm talking about children, I know my role here is to love and honor and cherish the children on the other end of this. And when you start to look at it in that term, then, you know, the equation is different. And and this is the the case study that I'm building and and testing is when you start to really honor and cherish those on the other end of your marketing message, what happens to ROI? Does it go up, you know, <laughs> which you would expect that it would? Yeah. Um, does it stay the same? Does it go down? How, how does intention and impact when you align on those two impact return on investment? And so you do that with some small tests. You know, this is all about testing. You take a small segment, you run a test, you see what happens. If it proves out, then you expand it even bigger. Mm. The challenge, I think, as marketers is what we do is we're like, oh, there's this move toward towards, you know, um, a change in the masculine. So let me jump in on this message of masculinity Mm. without really taking a time to look at like, what is Gillette's view on masculinity to be (laughs) honest? Like, what is their stance? Yeah. You know, I, uh, Joel Kahn posted something that was really meaningful to me where he was like, I don't need my razor company telling me 
about masculinity and honestly, like not honoring how many good men are out there because there are a lot there. In my opinion, there are way more amazing men in the world than there are men who are trying to hurt others. You know, I just, I've met a lot of amazing men and I've met a lot of amazing men who have been so helpful to me in my career that anything that tries to pit me against a man or pit me against something that, that against, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anti something. Anytime you try to go against something, you're in resistance inside your own body. And if you're just putting out resistance, then you're creating resistance. So I look to try to find that place of acceptance and love and compassion for everyone. And from there, you can you can inspire anyone. This whole hashtag, what you said is very powerful. This this hashtag of girl boss and lady boss, I think is very it's funny because I see a lot of women really going down this. My wife has a very big stance on this and she does not like it because she feels that it's almost isolating by mm-hmm. having this hashtag because she's saying, well, I, I don't need a, I don't need a hashtag to empower me. I, I'm, I'm empowered. Right. And yeah. when it comes, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Like she's like, I'm, I'm good. I do run a business. I am empowered. I'm empowering myself. Thank you. Yeah. So, but you're right where it's this divisive marketing that starts to turn. And it's funny because now all the, all these, all these women, they're like, well, let's do girl boss and lady boss. And they're all getting together and they're all like, you know, let's do ladies events and ladies conferences. And it, it, it it's really interesting to me because w- just think about this and you're a woman and I don't know if you have thought about this. Um, there's a lot of female only conferences. They actually market it as female only. Have you heard of one only male only conference marketing? And if you did, what the hell would happen? Or one white only conference, right? They have black only conferences, right? Yeah, African-American conferences yeah. and stuff. So there's this like permission slip to take some labels and isolate a whole demographic. So look at who those demographics are that are being isolated. They're the minority demographics that are allowed to take on this label and say we're special and exclusive and we can hold these events. But then the the um, majority would be shunned for doing the same thing. So I look at all of it and I say, you know, because I, I just looked at my career and I looked at what I experienced of the feminine and the masculine in corporate America. And this is where I believe there is the biggest opportunity for growth in every company is bringing masculine and feminine into balance inside the organization. Mm. And as I looked at that and I looked at my own career, I really acknowledged that there were a few men in my career who were shadier, you know, and, and, Heck, as a woman in my career, there were times where I was shadier, to be honest. As I said, like I, (laughs) I was out there drinking with the best of them. So I like fully acknowledge my own role in all of you know in the whole my own piece and everything as well. But you know, it's like if if that's what's happening and you see that toxicity happening inside of the organization, then you have to stop and ask yourself, like okay, well, how do we heal this? How do we get people to get on the same team? Because ultimately it destroys productivity. You know, women in the, in the, in corporate, honestly, that's where I had the biggest challenge. Like I, I was fired at seven and a half months pregnant by a woman who felt threatened by me and my career. You know, I had women who tried to completely undermine me and, um, strip out like, 
my value in the organization had all kinds of things that it usually was at the hands of women. And so for me, as I was going through this journey and I'm like really healing my own heart and realized that like I needed to heal my relationship with women mm-hmm. way right. more than I needed to heal my relationship with men. In some ways, my relationship with men was traumatized in different ways, but with women, it really was, I didn't trust women with my heart because so many women had not been loyal to me mm. throughout corporate, through my corporate history, friends, mm. you know, I really didn't have close women friends. And, and what I really wanted and desired was that like sister bond, you yeah. know, that yeah. sisterhood. Yeah. And so I just on a whim with one of my friends said, Hey, let's just invite women out and let's hang out and, and exchange. Cause I have a lot of um, friends, as I said, I hang, hang out with shamans and spiritual healers. So I have a lot of friends that are, are healers. I was like, let's all go and like, just hang out as the women and like really start to heal our relationships with the feminine. And it turned into this amazing group of like 28 women who all have common um, interest around personal development and um, spirituality and healing um, and activation, empowerment, all of that stuff. And many are entrepreneurs. Mm. Some are stay-at-home moms. Some are entrepreneurs. Some are in corporate America. And all we do is get together and support each other. Like there's no monetization model. We tried it. Like originally we were like, okay, maybe this should be like a mastermind. We're going to do it like the men do. And we're going to do a mastermind. And then we Mm. found out that like women don't exchange value in money. We exchange value in time. And so when we saw that, then it was like, okay, well, really the biggest support we can be for each other is just to be support for each other. And what we see is that this small group of 28 women, every single week, there are at least two or three photos of women getting together on their own time, Mm -hmm. going to lunch, going to Mm -hmm. coffee, going to shows. Just today, I've got two, I've got a shaman and <laughs> and another sister in the living room watching my son and someone else coming over in the next half hour, you know? And so what I found is that rather than looking at it in terms of how do I heal this outwardly, first I needed to heal it in myself. Mm. And I needed to see what it looks like for women to be friends and to have unconditional love for each other mm. and support. So that if there is cattiness that comes up, that there's there's someone and some something that happens that helps them resolve that. And we have a commitment to each other that we are here to support each other and whatever that looks like. And we have these agreements and we negotiated those agreements as a group. And I think that really is for me, and maybe it's because I'm in my, you know, I'm 40 now, but for me, it's the most beautiful form of friendship I've ever experienced because I have 28 women. I can pick up the phone and I can call whenever I need something, whenever I need help, whenever I need somebody to talk to, whenever I just want to go out and have fun, whenever I want to put the trampoline together, like whatever it is, like I have this group of women that, that, honors and supports me and that I honor and support them. Mm, and that's like an beautiful. evolution of community where it's not the 50,000 person community mm-hmm, or a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. It's a small community of 28 women who all live in the same area, who all have a line around a common mission of healing themselves so that they can heal the world. And we get together and we do stuff and support each other in our businesses. What do you think it is that people, it's funny because this whole conversation is, you know, this divisive marketing and tactic and campaigns and stuff that we're speaking about, it stems off the one statement that you made, which is people 
want you to have the same perspective as, of them. And my whole thought is that when you want somebody to have their same perspective as you, um, you don't want to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you're probably insecure. And the form, my, my equation for humans that are um, insecure and not self-aware equals backstabbing and complete annihilation behind your back. It doesn't lead to a good place for those relationships. Mm-hmm. So if somebody constantly wants you to have their perspective, it's kind of like being married in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would not want to marry myself. I don't want to marry. No, hell no. You know, I guess I, I should edit this and put two of me right here and be like, oh, hell no, no hell no, hell no. Because I'm just like, no. Like, and my wife upsets me, gets to the core of my blood, gets me so enraged inside myself. I'm like, how dare you? But you have a point. You have a point that I don't want to talk about it right now. Oh my God. Yeah. But she's forced me to grow in ways I didn't even know I needed to grow. And it's not that I want somebody to like, I'm not here to like be competing all day long, but I need somebody that calls me out on my shit. I need somebody that wants to yeah. be better. So, and I need people in my life like that. No, mm-hmm. I don't want to hang out with somebody that's like, Ryan, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying right. like, Sharing. But when you're wrong, you want someone to be like Ryan. You're wrong. Yo, you're wrong, dude. Like I don't. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't want a fan. I don't. I don't need a fan. I'm not. Yeah. Like I don't need a fan club. So, same perspective versus sharing perspective. For me, I think the world. Like when we talk about the divisive marketing, for instance, that Huggies or Pampers commercial, which I'll try to find the link and send you. But I'm sure if mm-hmm. you just Google it, John Legend. This this campaign is beautiful. It's showing yeah. guys changing diapers with a cool hashtag it's not getting anywhere near the buzz of the gillette because the gillette is more on the negative side so why are human beings always getting into more of the negative side where they're not like look at this amazing piece of content it was positive fluffy and great you never see a lot of that it's always oh my god look at this because we train them to share that i mean we train we created the hero villain victim story. Mm. We created the tension. You look at advertising and any storytelling telling, you know, the tension is what creates that like huge impact on the other end. And so we've trained people to respond to the negative and to respond to the tension. People are programmed to hold tension in their bodies. And if they aren't holding tension, you notice like people will be like, I feel like I should be doing something right now. Or I I feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, and we've trained that. And so it's our responsibility, in my opinion, as marketers to untrain that Mm. and to show that like peace of mind, balance, Mm. being centered, Mm. feeling good, Mm. doing things that feel good, honoring yourself with your own truth. You know, like how many times do you see seen it. I was me myself where it was like, I was overweight and eating tons of stuff that didn't serve me. And then pretending like I didn't to myself, like having this conversation of tomorrow, I was going to start honoring myself and the next day and then not doing it. And for me, honestly, like I'm the same way. Like I want that circle. That's going to give me that reflection. And I call it mirroring, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, be the mirror. You don't even have to like own the, like it doesn't even have to be true to you. Just give me the mirror. Give me the reflection of how this might look to myself or to someone else or to another lens that I can't see. Because as humans, we all have blind, blind spots. Of course. And so really, you know, when I'm in a position where I'm saying, I don't want your reflection, what I'm saying is I'm not ready to see that part of myself. Mm. 
And so because I'm not ready to see that part of myself, I'm going to get upset with you for being that piece of myself that I don't want to see. And if you know that someone getting upset with you just becomes a, a point where you can see like, oh, you're upset with me because I'm showing you something you're not ready to see. I can love you more for that. Like I can love where you're at. You don't have to see what I see right now. I can love where you're at. Mm. And I can love you for being where you're at because I know you're doing your best. Mm. I've genuinely never met a person who was like, yo, I'm trying to fuck it up today. Really good. <laughs> no doubt. Their intention you know, I wasn't. I am trying to destroy my reputation. I'm trying to hurt this other human. Like I don't meet people like that. Mm. And so I start to question when we have these themes and these stories of people being bad or, or, you know, anything that is like pitting people against each other or saying that someone else is separate from me. And I have to just stop and say, no, that's actually not true. Mm. The science proves that we as a collective are connected through our electric magnetic field around our heart. There is not enough distance between you and I for us not to be connected. We are connected through time and space. Yeah. Science proves it now. Yeah. And so if I look at you and I say, it's not my job to help you or support you, I truly am hurting myself because in my heart of hearts, I feel unfulfilled by not being able to be of service. You know, for me, I can't. I, it's, it's amazing what you say, because being connected for me. I don't like being around big groups of people. I it's it's very people don't believe like if I have to label myself, people are like you're an extrovert. I'm actually quite an introvert because when it comes game time, I kind of play life. Football had a big impact on me. So even in business, people will never understand. Even when I play football, it's like, man, you turn into the most ferocious monster known to man. And I always had the click switch. So business is no different. If I got to go out there and talk or or give a speech, man. It's game. It's game time for yeah. me. It's a completely different dude. It's just my. I can. I can click it and it's done. Then after I'm done, call my wife. I want to wear some big sweatpants and some fluffy slippers and sit by the fireplace and just man, just play. T- just group hugs and love. And I love yeah. that. And you know, we live in two different provinces. We have homes in two different provinces. We live in the city on one home half the month, and we live. We have a kind of an estate style property in. Uh, the mountains in British Columbia, which you've heard of British Columbia, right? Mm -hmm. Beautiful place. Yeah. In this, uh, when it's not summertime and I'm here right now, which is Fairmont, British Columbia, there's only about 459 residents that stay here year round. I'm I'm like, so we can, we're already three of them. (laughs) I love it. I go outside to my yard. All I see is Bambi. I see cougars. There's bears Mm -hmm. in the summertime and I love it because I feel like sometimes the energy that I get from people I can just see it and it's all just so counterproductive to what yeah. is what is what is life from everybody running around to coming out here because this is a tourist destination. So I see all these mm-hmm. people, they come out in the summertime. Kids are off school. Get out. You know, they come out here, they're getting plastered every night. We gotta drink, we gotta get it in, we gotta get it in, we gotta get it in. And then they go back to their life and they're miserable. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a terrible way to live. Now, jumping forward. Same perspective versus sharing perspective, but going into the content strategy, which I think a lot of people are still trying to understand this, is this. Do you believe, let's say you and me, personal brand, Mm -hmm. this has became a big buzzword right now. Holy, everybody's a personal brand. I'm going to teach you how to do your personal brand. Man, if you're walking, talking, breathing, your brand is already taking effect the moment you were in diapers. You started creating a brand. For you, do you feel somebody has to be consistently putting out content 
to have a good content strategy and to be remembered and getting those eyeballs? Or do you think they have to be very specific and put out only certain pieces of content, maybe like once a week or twice a week? I looked at your social media. I can tell for you, I think you have a love-hate relationship with it because I think social media for you brings you down into some old reminiscing thoughts and places (laughs) that you said, I just don't want to go there anymore. But then you're also a business person, a marketer saying, but you have to be here. You cannot like eliminate this. How are you balancing it? How can somebody, I'll be honest for me, if I post on LinkedIn or I post on Instagram or Twitter, I I mean, I got a lot of engagement. I got a great community. Instagram is great. Podcast. In my mind, a trick will play though. I got to keep posting. I better post. Oh, it's been a couple days. I should post something. My my wife says, Ryan, you don't always have to post. Denzel Washington said this. He said, somebody asked him, how did you become like the Denzel that everybody's just like, whoa, right? Training day, all these things. He said, for my brand and me as an actor, I want to leave a little bit of mystery. He's like, it's nice Mm -hmm. to know, like, where's Denzel at? Where's he? And then boom, he hits him with something. He's like, I've always loved that because he's like, for me, I feel like I'm creating this mystique. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a right or wrong. I don't know. I think every, it works differently for everybody. But yeah. can you be can you be our personal branding content <laughs> strategy therapist right now? Because I don't got to figure it out. Yeah, I would say, um, okay, so when it comes to personal brand, the first thing you need to do is understand yourself. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a, a a tool called wealth dynamics. And I highly recommend that you do it because for example, for myself, I am not a, um, I'm not a star personality. Oh, nice. My business, my business card's a sock. I love it. (laughs) Anyway, I love it. Um, like I'm not a star personality to be honest. So like me branding myself under Nicole Kelly, actually, yes, I am Nicole Kelly. And if you want to follow Nicole Kelly, then you should always follow me. But if you were looking for me to keep talking about ROI for the rest of my life, um, that's unlikely to happen. And so it helps to have a brand where that ROI conversation is so you can have a consistent experience and get what you want from it. But if I were to take my, my, um, personal work, which I didn't talk about, which is I do meditainment, which is through this um, experience of finding myself and so forth, I found that I can conduct energy through my hands. And I teach people how to conduct energy and I use lighted gloves and I put on like a concert with sound healing music and I teach people how to use their hands to heal themselves and, and others. And so if I were to put that in my ROI conversation, you'd be like, that doesn't like what is that? And by the way, my stage name is infinity. So I don't even use Nicole Kelly because it's not the same. It's not like, it's a totally different piece of myself. And so, um, from a branding perspective, I think you brand where you're at, you brand with who you are, you know? So yeah, for you, Ryan Holtz may totally make sense. But for me, it didn't make sense because I knew that, uh, that, that I am going to evolve a topic 
very quickly. Mm. So understand your wealth dynamics and how you are designed, how you're programmed to earn money before you make these decisions. Then the second thing is you need to understand your mental wiring. Like what is my, how does my mind operate? And that the best system that I found is a Myers-Briggs and I use a website called Personality Hacker. I'm a Myers-Briggs ENTJ. And once I understood that about myself, then it was very easy for me to understand how to optimize my life for the way my mind is wired. And I also could take a look at it and I could upgrade anything that I didn't that, you know, you're born with stuff, but then I could upgrade it. Mm. So when you understand how your mind works, when you understand what, how you're designed to make money, then you can get into other systems like human design, which actually starts to tell you truly how your whole system is wired to operate together. Then you can start to say, okay, do I need a personal brand? That's me as an individual, or is my brand the work I do? Is my brand the legacy I leave? And that's truly how you build a meaningful brand. We've seen this happen where people build a brand and, you know, and then they're sh- they shift and they change. And then it's like, whoa, what happened to that person? Just like you said with me, like, whoa, what happened to Nicole Kelly? Yeah. Well, I was off doing a, something totally different and still like keeping my eye, but I wasn't publishing content. And so all of a sudden it's like I did fall off the spectrum. So in terms of content strategy, one, I think you need to know who you are and what you represent. And that's going to really dictate what you do with your brand. And then from there, then it's like, what kind of content are you truly inspired to create anyway? Like over the last four years, I'd, I've done these talks called mirror talks, mirror mm. conversations. Mm. And really what a mirror conversation was, is it was a way that I had, I was holding myself accountable to look in the mirror and to, to really like get to the heart of who I was. And so I would basically go on Facebook live while I was doing my makeup and have these conversations. And I developed a following for mirror conversations and people who Dang. message me and say, when, when's the next mirror conversation? talking about consistency. So, you know, it really, it's about what kind of content drives you that you would create anyway. What's the value for you? Like for me, the mirror conversation was very much about me being able to watch myself and to evaluate myself and to see my triggers, see my body language, see how I handled it when I was tense, being able to know what I was telling, what I wasn't, you know, like that provided an amazing viewpoint for me as I was self, as I was deconstructing myself. Mm. And so then like the audience of the other side didn't matter because I was getting the value. So I might only have a thousand views or something on one of these videos, but I had already received the value from it. And then two, getting a message from someone saying, Hey, this really helped me today. Thank you so much for being so transparent about what is going on in your life. That was just the added benefit for it. So I would say consistency is key in branding. Um, we've all learned that and we've all seen the rise and the fall. There is, there is something to be said for consistency, consistency, but there's also something to be said for quality of life. Mm. So if you can be consistent and have a good quality of life while you're Mm. creating that content, it works. Mm. Written content and SEO, I have to say, like, just go do a Google search. Like it's really hard to find what you're looking for these days. So, you know, the whole written content, I find it's just so crowded that it's difficult to be found. So I I believe there's a huge move towards video, huge move towards audio. Um, Yeah away yeah. from the screen as well. Like the audio that I can listen to a podcast, being able to listen away from a screen is uh, really powerful. Alexa, 
Alexa, Alexa yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, Google, like yeah. being able to um, provide tips there, you know, like being able to actually provide a service yeah. of, you know, here's how you cook with my ingredients as an example, you know, like really looking at how you add value, as you said, but not in the way of like, I'm trying to get my brand in front of you because that we can feel that we can feel the energy of it. Mm. And when you get into the conversation about energy and marketing, which is probably a whole nother oh, interview. I like it. <laughs> I like that. You know then what we though we should like, that I don't even want to get into that right now because that that yeah. it's funny you bring that up because that I don't know that anybody's talking about that like it's yeah. it's big. that's the next level conversation where you start to talk about intention in the form of energy if your intention that you put into something has the energy of anything that is on the lower spectrum of of feeling meaning fear fear based messaging as an example then. I mean, there's a whole nother conversation about that and the impact that that has. You on know the what, human. though, too, about the energy is the um, what do you call it? The um, kind of not the rushed, but the push like you didn't want to post, but you feel you have to post. It's right. almost like that energy's in that post and it's, it feels like it was forced. Yeah. And then people that are receiving it are like, there's something off about this. And it's funny. They because- feel it. They feel the energy. Yeah, like it's funny when you go to press post, and I always do this because I'm like, okay, it's almost like a, it's like it's like a hit of something, and I know I got it when I hit post. I'm like, put all that like just good energy into it. Yeah. Um, okay, this has been great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have you back on plenty of times. This will be fun. I'm happy that you connected. Um, I'm gonna end off with, but before we get into all your, you know, how you can plug yourself and where people can find you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I mean, I'm just really personally really excited that, you know, I'm I'm back. Like I feel like, you know, and, and you've seen this through the industry, you've seen some marketers who've really taken a step back who are like, whoa, now I'm I'm back. Like I've gone I've gone through this big personal journey and now I'm back with a new message and I'm back with a new perspective. And so I'm really excited to be back and to just extend this conversation on return on investment. Like I said, I believe in return on investment and I believe through return on investment we can create impact in the world. And marketing teams who are really ready to have a conversation about what do I do now that I have ROI? What do I do now that, you know, my, like I'm having issues between my team and people getting along or how do I understand my customer better? And how do I provide a really great customer experience? Like I I'm excited to be a part of that conversation and mostly about raising the level of consciousness inside of the marketing community. Mm. You know, this is the first time where I would say that marketers are a bit behind the eight ball. Mm. You've got two huge demographics of conscious companies and conscious consumers already out there and you don't see conscious marketing getting much play and so I'm really excited to kind of help facilitate the space for that conversation because I think as a community marketers we have a lot of healing to do ourselves and we have a lot of Mm. you know really turning inward and loving ourselves to do so that we can go back out and love the world even more I hope we can work I hope we can work on something together one day I really I, I, I really admired you when I met you, you and I, I really like that. I like your whole vibe and stuff and maybe we can work on a client or something down the road. It'd be, it'd be fun. I think Love that. I like your, I like the energy. It, it's, it's, I'll, I'll be honest. I think it's really tough to find. I think it's tough to find good people, you know, and I think it's tough to find, especially even on a professional level where, mm-hmm. you know, just maybe your, maybe your moral compass isn't lining up or you're just, you guys just don't jive. So I, yeah. I, lo- I love what you do. I'm sure we'll get to work on something. I, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, what else? One question. 
And this is kind of a case study that the audience can learn from, even for me. So a lot of people have asked a lot, a lot lately, because I think with my podcast, everybody, everybody under the sun is starting a podcast. But what I've learned too is, and it's a growth journey, is that the consistency really separates you from the rest of the pack. So yeah. as you, you know, this is going to be, you know, episode 51, 52. And with that, oh, that's so cute. I love it. With that being said, we're, you know, a lot of people are like, man, you're, you're still doing the podcast. Like this is going well. I said, absolutely. Do you think, and podcasting is very interesting because a lot of people are not aware of podcasts. Like a lot of people are still not aware of podcasts. Yeah. When you release an episode, I release my episodes as a whole episode. Do you like the idea of sneak peeks? Because I feel that what I've been re- what I've been doing, and you know this, evergreen content. When you mm-hmm. talk to somebody for an hour, hour and a half, you could rip that video up into like you know 15, 20 different clips. Yeah, of do you, course. Do you like sneak peeks on on things like that when you see content, little one minute clips of boom, and then say you know look out, look for the podcast coming out. Do you like that, or do you feel like it's uh, it's kind of an abrupt hook? Or now with that one minute, it's complete value. There's no yeah. ask. Do you like that idea? I like, um, I, I love the idea of compressed value any way you can offer it. And I also love the idea of being able to go get the full conversation. So when you do that minute of like pure value and then I can go dive deeper into the conversation, I love that. And I love it more when you make that easy for me. Mm. So right now you see people doing 60 second video clips on Facebook, but then they don't have the link to listen to the full podcast in an easy way to get to it. Right. And podcasts are a little tricky because you've got to jump into iTunes. You don't know if they're a droid user, like there's all kinds of technical things with that. Um, but it's possible. And you can actually use some technology to be able to tell whether they're a droid or an iPhone user and send them to the right place. So it's interesting because so now do you like now that's scenario number one. Now, assuming somebody says, here's a clip, you really loved it. And somebody says sneak preview podcast coming next week. Would that piss you off or do you actually like that? I just probably would forget to come back next week. Interesting. You know, so, so yeah. like it's asking me to do something that I'm not going to remember, frankly. And unless you put yourself back in front of me next week, you kind of wasted your advertising dollars at that point, you know, because you mm-hmm. caught me at a time when I wasn't when you weren't ready to deliver me what I said I wanted. Oh, so it's funny because when I look at it. So for me, the way I distribute, of course, iTunes and Google Play is important, but we know that people really got to start taking ownership of some of their content and distribution. So if iTunes came down and said, Ryan, I don't like you, I'm done. I'd be done. But the way I've distributed my podcast, I get more listens from my website than I do on iTunes and Google Play. Specifically because when somebody clicks a link, you get to my site, boom, you can play it and it will play up as a media file on any phone. People love that aspect. But it's interesting that you don't like, because I only do right now, when the podcast is up and loaded, I'll do the teaser yeah. And I've been doing it that way. But I thought maybe I should do a sneak peek before. But you just like I, that was kind of my thought. I just Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I say, you know, you just look at the value for the other user. If I if, if I catch your attention, I don't want to wait. I like immediate gratification, you yeah. know. So like that's a marketer thing that we try to delay and like keep you. And we're just doing that to kind of keep an, like we want to stay top of mind. So we keep putting ourselves in front of you at meaningless times, you know. Give me the podcast when it's ready. Mrs. Kelly, you got the tree up in the background. You got the fireplace behind you. You got the little Fufini. You got the solar panels on. 
Uh, how can people hit you and how can people see what you're doing? Plug yourself, hit it. Yeah. So um, you can find me at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. I am currently on the market. I am available. I'm coming off of maternity leave and I'm looking for my next role. So if you're looking for an ROI driven executive who thinks beyond profit, then I would love to hear from you. Perfect, man. That's great. Uh, Everybody again, Nicole, thank you for coming on the show. Everybody again, just remember curiosity is our mandate. Again, write the review, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. Thank you for all the feedback. Thank you for supporting the show. Nicole, have an amazing day. I will see you on LinkedIn. Namaste to the fullest, my friend. (laughs) Namaste. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.